immigration process. It's very easy. You just have to take an American history exam. Okay? It's really, really easy. The thing is, I didn't see it come together like this. Check this out. The lady's giving this exam. She's originally Chinese, which is fine, but she had a really thick Chinese accent, which is fine also. I just didn't see it come together like this at the end. She was more excited for me than I was for myself. I turned the corner, and she was like, oh, oh, do that big day. Do that big day.
great. Okay, so that's a hot take from Mo Ammer. He's like one of my favorite comics out there. Because he, uh... He's true! What he says is true. It's part of the American experience. I just wanted to drop in today and... Oh, wait, I gotta play my intro! Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Do you know it's day 11 of the last 11 days of 100 days of call-in? That's what it is. The sun is shining, and it is election day. Ladies and gentlemen, all of whom may or may not be in attendance on this phone call. So, um, we have a news development here. It looks as though that the National Guard has dropped at least 14 states, not dropped them, but 14 states have a, have active National Guard cybersecurity units deployed. So this is including New York, Washington State, and Louisiana. Um, they've called the Guard in to tackle their cyber threats. So I have a, have a news blip here from tech.co. And says that as midterm elections take place across the country today, the National Guard has decided to activate cybersecurity teams in 14 states in an attempt to limit possible political interference. It should say political process interference. This is part of a series of actions the government is taking to crack down on politically motivated cyber attacks. Let's hit that link as a source. The likes of which influenced the results of the 2016 leadership race and contributed to the growing state of social polarization across the U.S. It doesn't look like anybody in the partisan or political structure is going to take any accountability for that, so they blame the Internet. It's your fault! This deployment, which combines efforts from the National Guard, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, and the Department of Homeland Security is a stark reminder of how international conflicts are currently taking place in the digital front line. Here's what we know so far. The National Guard has offered its services in 14 states. Ahead of today's midterm election, cybersecurity units from the National Guard are being deployed across the U.S. to counter online threats being directed at election officials' networks. According to the Epoch Times, the National Guard, which is best known for its in-person military operations has offered 38 cyber units comp comprising 2,200 personnel members to 14 states. This comes just months after eight U.S. states receiving backing from the same cyber units during the primary elections. But the National Guard isn't working alone. The state-based military force will be receiving regular updates from the CISA to give them the best chance at possible at quelling threats, and the Department of Homeland Security is also offering its backing too. Quote, our goal is to make sure we have as secure elections as possible, and we are really beginning at the beginning stages of this, head of the Illinois National Guard. So the battleground states include Arizona, Louisiana, New York, Colorado, Connecticut, North Carolina, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Washington, West Virginia, New Mexico, Iowa, 
Pennsylvania. Whew. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt the uh, the flow of the information there just to indicate <clears throat> Arizona is a paper ballot only state. So there've been horror stories of you know boxes of paper ballots being found in the desert um, and other electoral interference. So <clears throat> that place is going to get dragged out in terms of like ballot counting. Um, there's projected at least 11 to 14 days after ballots are cast tonight they say that they're going to be watching also Pennsylvania is expected to be a protracted long race in case of any contests in the, those two states they are really big battleground states so states that haven't requested help from the guard will be using their own cybersecurity methods to thwart attacks but according to Brigadier General Gent Walsh the commander of the Washington Air National Guard if you don't have a cyber unit in your state, quote, you're not in a good position to help them protect elections. Well, you know, we have a National Guard, you know, and they're, it's the, it seems like the, the, the place that they should have hardened would have been like the mobile transport of this information. But you know what? Uh, you can also use a fax. You can also use, you know, if you have the same results, you can you can call in the tallies you can email them to the secretary of state you know these telegraph wiring uh, connections are, are somewhat unreliable but it doesn't change the information coming from from the source you know all, all it does is maybe get intercepted or sprayed out there in some other way but I, I think that you know if you have the vote tally it won't it won't get chopped and screwed between point A and point B, it, it, that's what they would call an interruption. So I just wanted it to indicate that in case everybody's, anybody says, you know, now if they got into the source uh, where, where the counting was done and they manipulated the data there, um, as long as that infrastructure stays secure, then, you know, how it gets there and, and the, how much time it takes to get there is know kind of a relative matter because the information doesn't change like once they count the ballots the, the the ballot count will stay the same unless there's a recount and then it should stay the same so the panic should be much less but there's a lot of uh, a lot of chest heaving and pearl clutching and things like that a lot of people who are kind of having some last-minute hackles about the election and nobody is online today. They're all standing out in front of the voting polls, I think. So I figured I'd offer something for at least a few minutes. I'm going to do a DJ set later on tonight after a lot of the initial, initial ballot counts are in. So it's supposed to, it's meant to be fun because there are going to be winners and losers everywhere. Not everybody's going to get what they want. So I thought at least I could play some music and help people feel better because it will help it helps me feel better when I play music so just make merry and know you did your best and <laughs> try to comfort people for the future of what was what goes on you know we can't always control the outcomes of things you have to just kind of do your best and let go do your best let go and let God take care of the rest um, because you really cannot take care of all those things also, 
Joe Rogan will be at the Creek and the Cave here in Austin on Thursday. Whoop, whoop. I'll be there with my sweaty little palms and money in hand. Yeah, I want to see Joe Rogan. So that will be rad. Um, I invite everybody who is listening, all of one person to be there. Um, hello, T. So there's also this note that came in that has nothing to do with the elections. Is Tim Berners-Lee is building the web's third layer, so don't call it Web3. This is the guy who originally made the internet the internet. The man who gave us the World Wide Web talks about solid. His ambitious plan to give us an all-private place to store and selectively share our online data versus what we have now. We have advocates online uh, like Evan Greer who are criticizing Elon Musk for purchasing Twitter saying you know now it's gonna be a capitalist thing and I'm thinking you techno fascist communitarian sad sacks have been making money hand over fist laundering it through China all these years and not calling it money your mansions were paid with what air come on you paid for this with surveillance, and none of them seem to have any problems with any of it. But the minute some guy goes full-bore free market capitalist, libertarian-ish, okay, and he buys a place and he says, okay, now we charge you $8 for your notoriety, as in blue check. Blue check. I, I looked online this morning. Uh, Joe Rogan had no problem paying for his blue check. He was, he was a man about it. Probably said, here you go. Here you go, Twitter, a la Musk. Here's eight bucks a month for, for, I'm a man. I'm man enough to pay eight bucks for my blue check. What about the rest of these people? What are they functioning on? You know, how, how do they function in life without their, their hubris? I just, I don't know what, what, how they get through life. I just don't. I mean, I, I don't understand it. Someone please explain this to me. So anyways, Tim Berners-Lee, who actually has a real solution, um, and I really believe that because he built the internet in the first place, Web3 is not the web at all, is what he says. At, at Lisbon's giant Web Summit conference last week, guest speaker pithily rejected Web3, the buzzword encompassing an emerging set of technologies that aim to provide the internet with a decentralized blockchain-based infrastructure for managing ownership of online data. Given that this Web3 critic was Sir, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the guy who invented the World Wide Web more than 30 years ago, his take was newsworthy by definition. But Berners-Lee did not take to the Web Summit stage to simply scoff at Web3. He was there to talk about Solid, his own open source gambit to reinvent the web through new decentralized privacy-minded tools, or, you know, pets, you know, privacy-enhancing technologies. Um, Gambit to reinvent the web through new decentralized privacy-minded tools for wrangling data. Originating as an MIT research project, Solid also led Berners-Lee to co-found a startup, Inrupt, to commercialize the technology. So the, the business model is the aches and pains here. They have to find a way to make money from the tech. And... <clears throat> this is what he's seeking to do. He is the company's CTO at Web Summit. He was joined on stage by his co-founder, John Bruce, its CEO. Afterward, my Fast Company colleague, Rob 
Pegararo and I met with both men to discuss Solid's overarching vision, progress to date, and future goals. It looks like a long interview, but I, it could be, could be. Um, I hope that you'll go there. I'll put the, the link to the source in the notes here. Um, but it's t Tim Berners-Lee is building the web's third layer. So if you wanted to go look at that now, I just wanted to feature that because I'm super excited about that. <laughs> um, also, so the Justice Department is still dispatching monitors to 24 states uh, to for voting rights. So I'll read just a blurb about that. Washington, the Justice Department will send monitors to 24 states in an effort to ensure compliance with federal voting rights laws in Tuesday's elections. The action, which occurs regularly on Election Day, comes as a civil rights groups and the federal government have raised alarm over potential voter intimidation. All right, that's objective. So here, at some polling places and ballot boxes, the 2022 election is playing out against backdrop of persistent falsehoods made by former President Donald Trump and his Republican allies about losing the 2020 vote. A relentless campaign that will have implications as people cast their ballots. Well, uh, if you're going to editorialize, I guess I, I will go to the internet and counter editorialize. News person. So that's what happens when you get editorialized news sources. Like, it's them! It's the Republicans! It's their fault! So there is the counter narrative that um, I've seen displayed by comic Dave Smith, who is somebody who's who's critical of both major parties so let's see here he he was saying something to this, to the to the effect that i i still can't shake this bizarre feeling about biden's closing pitch ahead of the midterms he said there's going to be an election denier and that you must accept the results why would a president say this about a midterm that by all accounts he's about to get crushed in weird so you know, he's not the only person kind of raising, you know, hackles about this. Um, I also said something in politics. People can have a distorted sense of projected reality. You know, Biden's semi-senile, senile. He's been a mean spirit his whole public career. You know, I, I use the one like glowering example of like when, after shortly after the election, um, I think in 2010. Uh, there was a helicopter ride or some sort of low-flying plane that came over the Hudson and he was in it and it began to falter and I think Joe Biden was in that plane and the plane was misdirected somehow but it looked really really bad that there was a low-flying plane coming into Manhattan Joe Biden was in it and it was super threatening so I think that was one of the cruelest things I think he could have ever done to hassle people. You know, I do blame him. <laughs> he was in the blame. He was in control. And it's possible just to heckle the populace, he did that. And I wouldn't put it past him. So I always remembered that, that moment of meanness as who could do that and didn't, didn't respect the emotional stability of the American people. So um, so I said that he may be preaching as much to himself as he is his party, and as much as he is maybe the voting populations, you know, try to, try to look at the upside. There is an upside. 
but he, he's a mean spirit, that Joe Biden. You know, he puts on a he puts on a face, a grimace. Clown grimace for all of us. So we're twenty minutes in. Um let's see if I can try to get some people to call in. <laughs> it's just you and me, T. Uh, <laughs> so let's get through a couple more Twitter feeds. I think there's some some things note. I did indicate today a one I can't. I'm in Texas. Just tell them I can't do it. I can't do it. So, Senator Marco Rubio sent in a letter to the FTC. It's only 30 minutes long. Come on, cut me a break. So, as I said, Senator Marco Rubio sent a letter to the FTC trying to get them to censure them somehow for rulemaking on privacy, which has never been a problem in the past. And I'm kind of a little bit taken aback that he's he's the guy who sent it in. Um, I think it's because they and I read the letter. I, I read the letter. It's him and Senator Loomis and one other senator, but there are a few other senators that might be in the pocket. So they're citing that the ADPPA should have, should or should not have uh, preemptive qualities. Now there is a collection of people seeking representation in our Congress that doesn't want the federal privacy law to have preemptive qualities. Preemption means that it would. have supremacy over the rest of the laws nationwide. The strongest um, privacy, enforceable privacy regime nationwide, but it doesn't have any private right of action, which has been my personal criticism uh, of these laws, because it's your data, you should be able to sue an entity that misuses it or mishandles it. And the fact that there is also an SEC securities issue here. You pay into the system, it's being used as money, and your data is a commodity by definition and by the way that it is used in the way that it is processed and transferred and used as money. So how come you never were invited to price your own data? And that, that's a question I can never seem to get any kind of answer to, but it was a question that came up and Ken Burns, Representative Ken, I think it was Ken Representative Burns asked the question. Ken Burns might be a producer, but I hope I got that name right. But it, it was Representative Burns, I remember. Um, he did me a great mitzvah, you know, by representing that, that interest and, and saying those things. Because the industries that are making money, again, hand over fist, it's not theirs, it's yours, it's belonging to you, it's about you. Um, you've never seen a dime of that. You're the commodity. You're the soldier doing all the work for them, generating the content and, and manufacturing data for them so that they can make money. And it's really become a predatory act, but they don't see it that way. <laughs> Evan Greer at Fight for the Future doesn't see it that way. The communists don't see it that way. 
people in the PRC and bricks, you know, laundering your data from their houses and cleaning spreadsheets, well, they don't see it that way. I see it that way. And most citizens would see it that way if they really understood how it happened. So I'm kind of weirded out that he, he would say that, like, well, you know, we, we needed to, 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 to look out for the, the rights of the preemptive stuff. And typically the voices of the preemptive clique has been these people, these people in Silicon Valley who want to control and, and evade regulation in these cottage industries. So said to, to Mr. Rubio, see the point in your letter to the FTC it's just that the ADPPA hasn't hasn't been passed. It's not a law yet. Okay, so there's no actionable law to enforce, and the FTC is what we have. Um, and yet there is no provision in the ADPPA to be to regulate these cottage data processors who send American data to bricks laundries, as quote-unquote small businesses okay there is a distinction that really does need to be made there are small businesses who can get crushed by regulation but typically they are using other people's platforms who are highly regulated and most of them are under consent decrees anyway they're using Facebook they're using high dollar platforms to to manufacture their businesses and carry their businesses online and those people have the means to conform to the law because they have bigger, they use other platform infrastructures who are regulated. Okay, their cloud systems, all that stuff. That's, that stuff is heavily funded by VCs and like, and they have the money to conform with the law. Okay, small businesses and retail outlets and people who sell cat food online, um, are looking like the the straw man to defend like oh don't don't slam those people with crushing regulation I don't think it'll even touch them because they're they're using somebody else's stuff um, who these small businesses are really going to impact are these small cottage data processors that are just like Peter on this network who called into my show and said that's me I do that job I do that job I, I clean the medical data which did not comfort me at all one bit <laughs> Okay, so I said, you and Senator Loomis have an opportunity to make a distinction with a real difference between online retailers who use other platforms, typically underneath U.S. governance, and FTC consent decrees for some bad acts, versus these bedroom data brokers who work with the PRC. So right now, there are no legal deterrents regulating the data brokers. The FTC has the latitude to rule make in U.S. national interest in the absence of this law. So uh, the brokers and and if if they don't like it, they can just take their their traffic to to Nancy Pelosi. She was the one who said, "Hey, let's not do this. Let's slow it down. Let's make this about California and what California needs and wants." You know, as the as the uh, the kingmaker for all of privacy law, you know, he should get his ball bat out and go after you know that group of people. Okay. He's not really defending small businesses. He's he has indirectly defended these these cottage industry people, and um, the brokers have real time impacts to national security, as data processed through PIPL and PRC computing is claimed as owned by the PRC. And now he knows that, so I, f I feel better saying so. 
All right, we're 20 minutes in. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to pick on you because you're here, <laughs> and you'll talk. Oh, come on. Okay. It's been a minute. Nobody is online today. How you doing? Oh, hey. Okay. How are hey, you? how you doing? All right. So, uh, you know, it's been it's I'm been all right. kind of a, What's up? It's it's uh what's today? Today's election day. I mean, did you vote? Did you go vote today or did you do early voting? No, I didn't get my absentee ballot. I'm not in Iowa right now. I'm down in Georgia. Okay, so But so I would not have the... done it anyway. Okay. So you're just Everybody on the ballot is garbage. Um, okay. I'm, I think I'm opting out of the entire future. All of it. It's just never going to be Hello? something I, in which I choose to participate We lost your, your mic again. there for a few minutes. Hold on. There is How is that better? It is. It is better. What would you do? Just it, It's like, it's just touchy. Is it it's sensitive? got to wiggle the cord. Yeah. Okay. No, I haven't been uh, around. I was too mad at that uh, the constitutionalist interview. Oh, like, I'm sorry. What did guy, I do wrong? What happened? Yeah, it's not you. Well, uh, sort of. Is. It's him too. Like both. It's the both. Like everything you're saying was true, but it's just like a perspective thing. Like you were talking. He was talking about a. Let's see, a predatory lending backed land redistribution. Mm-hmm that has these creation of these enclaves which gentrified him out of there mm-hmm. done with like the f- and, and the only takeaway is that there's an immigration problem I'm like no no that's like way losing the script and you're gonna what you're gonna give ice more cudgels to beat people with like no you, this, forget about trying to keep them out there's an active incentive to bring them over just take that away it's it's the financiers like, do you ever heard of Jerome Daly versus the First National Bank, 1968? Yeah, I'm, I'm like maybe 14 percent uh, with this narrative. <laughs> there was a foreclosure. And I don't that really know where you're coming from, Jonathan. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know where you're coming from. I think that he was a property owner by way of his wife's well, marriage, and it was it was family property. And it was being encroached upon by criminal drug lords who who decided to use the colonious um, law that was supposed to support, you know, transient migrants, you know, seasonal migrants. They could have a place to live. They could buy property, but it was meant to, to function as a campground. And then they go back to their nation of origin, usually Mexico, um, to, to live. So what was, what was the dissent that you had over my own take on things was it you know well the, you're, you're he said free that there's speak. loans being given to like 25 point loans i said that there were create. loans no he he did he did uh the people who were Usually financing these business. cartels but the purchases of the texas land like he said it was the best land for farming in the states which mysteriously has been unused for that purpose up until now so, like, if it was really so good, it would be That's not necessarily confirmable today. Like, I can't confirm or deny that report. Okay, I do know that there's a great deal of farming that happens in the in in the RGB. I do know that. But I, 
Well, either way, they're the banks who finance the purchases of these properties, whether it's by the cartels or anybody else, wins whether they win or wins whether they lose. Like hey, Jonathan, off, I, I don't know points. if this this came out during the interview, and, and sorry about my failure, but most of these purchases, these land purchases, are done with cash. By done the cartels cash. of the who, who's selling? Yeah, the car, the cartels get a lawyer. They get an avocado to get to do the cash transaction for them and, and work the deed. He said they were financing it at twenty five points. That's what the constitutionalist guy said. I forgot his name already, but. The, it's the, Philip the Drake. Philip Drake, yeah, that's the guy. So typically, like, though, I mean, just just to to do a fact check, I can't I can't vouch for every single property that happens to be present at the address that he was indicating in Edinburgh. Uh, but I can say more generally that that the Colonius is appropriate for cash purchases. So, but go it's ahead. like. If there's a monopoly somewhere, I'm not going to go blame the consumers. You know what I mean? I'm going to yeah. go be like, who's selling this to them? And who's financing those sales? And you're saying that finance might not be as big a part as I thought it was. But the the sale in the first place was done by an American, presumably, who was sitting on that land waiting for somebody to give them probably a quarter more than it's actually worth because they got a place. The land itself has become a way to launder the drug money. And he said, you walk on there, it looks like some old plantation with the big house and then a bunch of shacks all around it. All that's And the true. interest, yeah, and the interest, and I just mean the, the literal meaning of the word interest. Like there's so many people that are interested in this land that it gentrified him out of there. But like the gentrification is the, the, the quote unquote investment coming into here was was the people who were... A, they had drug money that was created by a appetite of American appetite for drugs, and the financiers is financing it with American money, and the land was an American held deeds, and he's going to blame the consumer in a monopoly scenario. Like that's just so backwards. It's like striking the stem and not the root. It would have been helpful if you'd have called in to challenge him, because I think a candidate like that needs. More I did, challenge. but I couldn't wait till the till the end. I had to go do something. Okay, but if he's well, back, I, mean, I will do he's, that. He's accessible, uh, and I'm sure that you you can you can produce your your dissents towards towards him on that. Um, he is an open person. He is an open candidate. I, I don't know how um, how viable he is as a national presidential candidate, but it was worth having him on as a presidential candidate for the future. What I'd like to do with this platform after the 100 days of Colin, because I think I'm going to return to doing Unsanctioned Citizen on my other vectors, like, more strongly there, uh, do more interviews there, do more stuff there, but have this space for an occasional, you know, audience call specifically, and to do more, like, debate-style features. Like, I want to get together with a few more people and try to develop this as a legitimate debate space like with candidates you know have people come on like specifically third-party candidates because they just aren't entering debates and um brianna Wu was on um pangburn last la last night and she's great she's running this this uh pack called rebellion pack 
And so there are a few more people out there that have, they are escalating debate interest. Also, Brady, he was on here not too long ago. I think it was Saturday. Um, so a lot of people are interested in third-party debates, but they're just not getting, um, they're just not happening like they should. So I think if I got some more support through Colin, possibly there could be more debates. Um, it doesn't mean that, that major parties would be excluded. It's just that third parties would be preferred because they are typically not invited or somehow push the margins of, uh, of the debate. And most debate has been pushed to the margins anyway. That There's been a strategy of not allowing or, or barring debates in general. So, And I've seen that happen for years, at least a decade, maybe longer, like yeah. 15 years where they, they're not having public debates on television like they used to. And if they do, it's it's definitely not everybody who's running who's asked, it's asked to join be the scripted. debate. It has to be the scripted issues. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair. That's not fair to the voter. It's not fair to democracy. So I think – or basic democracy. Like, you know, and it wouldn't take much the debate either. Ballot. A lot of the debates been been done – if. If it's like, look at the long ass list of consensus between like greens and libertarians. First of all, all the social issues, like usually they're, uh, they're for legalization. Uh, they're for, you know, they're not really anti-gun. They, you know, so you probably wouldn't like how pro-choice they are, but from a libertarian point of view, that's not the government's business. Like, so the social issues is actually agree a lot on ending the drug war and that stuff like that. Well, it makes it competitive, then, like, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? They have to make a distinction. I, they have to really woo-woo the, 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 the voters away from one position or the other. Because I've been on both teams. Like when I was um, when I was a young person, like under 25, I was green. And then after, after college, I became a libertarian. Like the last two years of college, I became a libertarian. I went a little bit the other way, but like... It's really, I don't consider, I'm still consider myself a libertarian because it's always about the more bureaucracy there is, the worse everything gets lost in the sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a, it is a necessary evil. Law itself is a necessary evil at best. That's the best case scenario is that you have to have it, but it's still more you have it, the more evil it gets and the more convoluted it gets. And the well, more you're going to be making trade offs, you know, the more you have to, to build the infrastructure support. If you, if you endorse, uh, the personal defense or, or personal self-defense, there is a robust, a robust respect for the citizen. So I think uh, here in Texas, I, I've seen that firsthand. There's a lot of armed people, so people don't really want an armed conflict, so they're careful. <laughs> they're careful with their neighbor. And in the cases that they're not, which is, it gets real weird. Um, but usually people will back down once the, the firearms are exposed. There's a lot of you know concealed carry in this state. Nobody wants to really have that situation. But there definitely have been benefits because there was a mass shooting in a church, and the only person you know the, the cops couldn't get there fast enough, and this gentleman pulled out his heat and the assailant. And it did save many lives. There were lives that were lost, but there were many lives who were also saved because this man acted in the spirit of defense. 
Well, that that's a good example of an issue on which I think I got already seeing some a little bit of bipartisan traction because what you'll have is you'll have your mainline uh, Democrats saying, oh, this is a gun issue. And then now you'll have your mainline Republicans being like, oh, no, it's a mental health issue. But now well, part the, of it is. Yeah, the part, sure, but the but but now you have I think a, a, a far right, far left alliance, a green libertarian that says no, it's not a mental health issue and it's not a gun issue. It's an economic issue. Like these people, there was a there's a meme I posted to the Jacobin page and it was a little koala, right? And the koala is like hugging the stump of a tree. And if you pan up, there's all these stump, all the eucalyptus trees are gone, and he's sort of trembling nervously about it. And then there's just dudes in a clipboard and like, oh, this this young koala has a mental health problem. No, he doesn't. He's having a perfectly sane reaction to the complete lack of the system that in which he's built to live, a total ecosystem destruction, total lack of opportunity. And he's reacting in a very sane way to that. Like it's it's a it's a pro money problem. It's a it's an opportunity problem. It's the people who are got nothing, got no future. They got no prospects. They got no hope, you know, and so they go kill somebody. And that's whether they're a white kid shooting up the school or they're a Mexican crossing the border. Like it's always the same reason. And I think like if you're going to have a third party thing, it's just like, OK, we all if we agree on that, boom, do it and move on. I think it's, it's not going to be as hard as you think. And it's, a little bit goes a long way, which is why it's worth doing what you're talking about is worth doing. It is, it is, and and hearing more about those narratives, because I I feel a little bit alienated from from the arguments that you're making right now, because they haven't been supported in in rhetoric, and so that that, those arguments, I think I'm going to have to to sit down and really, really kind of steep like that, just just kind of steep in in the argument and kind of listen and, and understand what some of those points are to be made. And um, I'm not sure I, I totally fully understand. I do understand that it is never okay to take the life of another person according to the law. It's never really okay. I mean, you have to you have to weed through a lot. If you murder somebody, it, it is considered manslaughter, and unless that you get, it's really provable that it was an instance of self-defense, and even then you're in you're in trouble. You took the the life of another person. So for Christ's sakes, you know, don't kill anybody. Um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, you want to defend else's... yourself, but you don't want to kill anybody. It's all about proportion. It's like, yeah, you could talk about this punishment for killing. You could talk about the morality of killing. You could regulate guns, and you could fund mental health services, and those all might have some effect on uh, their gun violence rates. But none of them will have the effect as attacking systemic inequality. That will have uh, pound for pound, like ounce for ounce of your thought and dollar for dollar, a far more far-reaching effect. Yeah, I don't know if inequality or equality will ever be reached as far as, as – and I'm not sure if that's even the goal because – Well, Bruce Lee the, said not all goals are meant to be reached. It's just something to aim at. You know, It's like you know you're going in the right direction. Well, I, w- I could see you know pulling the bottom – baseline up so that everybody is able to reach you know you know a humanitarian level of you know like everybody can have the same 
needs met. I could see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay. trying to make I'm trying, like a total communist where everybody's got exactly the same amount of resources. Like I no, right, and, I'm not and saying that, that at all. That must be better understood. Like I could totally, I can totally reach for that and and see that in that frame. But as far as like systemic inequality, there's always going to be people who either cannot work or work less, or and the economy doesn't necessarily support what they do. Um, I fall into a weird little pocket of, of people who have been, you know, I don't even know how I've made it this far, but, you know, I'm, I'm intellectually viable, but I'm not paid for what I do, so it's really weird, and so I've gotten along how I've gotten along, but it's, it's not been a joyride, you know, economically. Um, right. And I, I would so pr- much prefer to be rewarded with, you know, a good living for what I do, but I, I don't, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so there's two things to do. There's to raise the floor and then there's to just reduce the, the literal unequalness of the whole thing. And I think those are both good ideas. I mean, the best argument I ever heard against Jordan Peterson was by Jordan Peterson. And I know, like, everybody talks about this fucking Again, guy so much. Again, you know, this is this is some Canadian man, you know, like, I don't... Some Canadian guy, but the point was about, it was about inequality, kind of, because he was talking about happiness, right? And about how, um, well, in the Zizek debate, he's talking about how capitalism produced more wealth. And Marx admitted this, right in the middle of the Communist Manifesto, Marx says that capitalism is the most dynamic, productive thing ever created by the species, right? And, uh... He's like, yeah, and it lifted more people out of absolute poverty than anything else. And there may be something to that, more in China than the United States. So it's like the number of people who had enough to live, it was more. But then in a lecture in Toronto, he goes on about what it is that really bothers people at a psychological level. Like at, if you get more than $75,000 a year, it might be more like 100000 these days because this was uh, you know, some years ago. But say you get anything over $100,000 a year doesn't make people measurably happier. Like there are people who have $10,000 Okay, let me just stop you right there, Jonathan. It is not the role of the state to make a body happy. Okay, no, I do no, not I believe that. that. I didn't I say don't that. believe that. I was just saying it's an observable psychological phenomenon that it doesn't make you happier to have more anyway. What bothers people, what makes people unhappy where everybody has $10,000 a year, they're all happy as long as nobody else has more than they do. Who They they, they got to believe it's a meritocracy. They got to believe there's some equality and they have to believe that working will get you ahead. But if you live in a place that's so radically unequal and unmeritocratic that you just don't believe that no matter how diligent you are, how smart you are, how educated you are, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to matter because nobody cares and everybody who's getting rich is getting rid of off of rents anyway. It's just that their granddaddy owned land, right? So I'm not about- sure if that's 100% true in all cases either, Jonathan. There are people who do have propriety in our society, and, and they are rewarded through through inheritance, and and that's okay. I mean, I, I don't, I don't. There is an element of covetousness here. I, I want to at least speak to that uh, to desire what another person has, or to seek to have what someone else, what is awarded to somebody else, does not mean that that is for you i have i have a different kind of mindset about such things i i have what i have because god allows me to have what i have i mean i've worked hard and diligently for the things that 
I call achievements, but, you know, by grace, I can't say that the stuff that is in my world is because of my own, you know, my own earning and my own doing. Um, some of the stuff is, but a lot of it's, and most of it that, that I call security isn't. And, and, you know, I feel weird about that, but it's only because my society makes me feel really bad because I don't necessarily, you know, it's, it's about this, 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 uh, social construct of, of ownership and having of things and mortgages and 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 you know fetters and traps and and debt okay and and this is their construct like i don't i don't identify with it i don't i didn't build it i didn't you know it's not my fault that it's this way you know i didn't create it but they have a system that is kind of driven by behavioral um, covetousness for whatever you want to call and it's it's an unspiritual way of, of uh, manufacturing but there are other people who have different mindsets like I think about Elon Musk Elon Musk comes from money he comes from money but the guy sleeps on a whole filled mattress and he migrates and sleeps on couches the same way Julian Assange does so there's something to that mindset it's it's about some other quality that is driving them to to be a productive person so i think it's more wealth is comes from what you produce you have to be a good productive producing person you know and you have to have something that people desire or want but or since 1980 need. that's less true every year than the year before <sighs> The point, the point is that the school shooter doesn't go in because of absolute poverty. He goes in to does what he does because of relative, relative poverty. It's like he does he's not starving, you know. That's not There's no what, there's what no bothers. person to to interview. Like we're not interviewing Cruz, the kid who who was distorted and shot up a bunch of people in South Florida. You know, we're not able to interview those people. But you know we that don't know their what economic their condition is. wasn't like ab abject dying in the street it was more like covetousness like you said it's envy well at that age at the high school shoot teen shooter age it's more of sex than money but you know what i mean it, it is covetousness and it is unspiritual but i guess the point was if we want to resolve the gun violence say in a way that doesn't have to do with making it a guns issue or a mental health issue you can attack systemic inequality. I do think that ever since 1980, with a combination of a tra trade deficit and our monetary system, inequality has been rising ever since then. That's how you long know, I've, I've heard that argument from other people in my, my age group. So I've heard that. I don't right. necessarily agree with them, but you know, I've heard that argument. Well, it's the same amount of time inequality has been rising since about 1980, and we've had this monetary system plus a trade deficit for the same amount of time. So I think those two are, are causally related. But I, I, I think it's a problem in the psyche, too. It's a problem like if that should, we can attack. And also the raising of the floor is more of like a it's make it matter less. You've got a precarious situation. Okay, well, make, make, us, make it so it's not so damned expensive just to, to live. You don't need to trade away a full-time job's worth of time to just – afford to put gas in your tank so you can go back to work that's sick like that's not covetousness that's despair it causes yeah, and I'll, of... I'll agree with that because you know like if you you can feel the the real strains of economic um tragedy 
because definitely I've been on the low, low end of things too, and that's not that's that's something that's really, really emotionally distressing to to be poor. But I can't tell you how many really moral people are poor, but they don't need inflation, and that's what we have right now. So the yeah, the, that's the, everything the regressive crisis of the them. day that I'm hoping that the competencies, the relative collective competencies of con- Congress, you know, will will somehow answer the call uh, to to rationality and and to grab onto the reins of uh, runaway inflation and just say, whoa, <laughs> um, because they have to live with in the same society that you and I do. We're all paying. 17 to 20 percent more for you know basic groceries and gas so all that's gone up it is really biting hard i mean is it biting yeah. you yeah it's biting the yeah. hell out of me it's fucking we have no no right disposable now. income eggs. right now go ahead right but that's all it, all of that is going right into profits which shows that it's not that their costs are going up they just have the the, the banks and the corporations have too much price fixing power and I can make this argument to a libertarian. It's like, they're, a real libertarians fucking hate banks, right? Be like, you want to take power away from the bank and the monopolist and make a competitive society? You have, you use your government to compete with the monopolist. You provide the universal basic services, not income, because they'll, the monopolist will just eat that up. You'll make it worse with universal basic income, but with basic services like housing and healthcare and, I don't know, fuck, community college maybe. Like those are good things to spend money on, create money for if you're a government. And if you just want to burn the government, and be an anarchist, then just say that, and we'll have that argument, you know. Well, I'm I'm not there. I've proven that you know I've been thrown in the into the the fiery guts of of anarchism, you know, transpiring in real time, and it is basically a, a way to burn down the, the palace so that yes. real parasites like communists will come in and just take whatever's left but at so, the very I'm, not, least, I'm not okay with that i've watched it in real time so I'm n- i'll never be okay with that concept ever again i can't i can't be you, intellectually seduced with it at all even for the people <laughs> who are for it you can get those same people that admit like if you're gonna make a dollar give it to a person not a bank like that you know, it's always it theoretical the for those folks. You know, what, and and you know, anarchists are really strange. Some of them are super rich, and they come from really, you know, they're trustafarians. They they come, they're trust fund babies, right? You know, they come from these rich families, but then you know, they think that they're going to do something, you know, badass, and you know, travel the road, and if on, you know, get this, you know. North Face backpack and go backpacking across the nation and, you know, shave all the underside of their hair off and wear braids and look like they're, you know, from Mad Max or some shit and panhandle for two yeah, years and say they that have, they've lived. Uh, they have credit cards and they don't look at prices when they eat. So, like, that's where they are. Yeah, they're always they're eating like, at these, like, high-end, like, granola yogi yeah, when that you know, card doesn't work, places. all of a sudden the story changes. Well, no, they they, they still go out and panhandle. They're like, I can do this, I can do this, and I used to see yeah, them all the time. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it, they they're trying to exercise some sort of virtue um, of asceticism, 
in doing this. They're trying to kind of cleanse their soul of whatever they think is attachment to, to material reality, um, but also endorsing this, this alternate uh, political system um, that, that kind of rejects everything. And because they they don't know what they are without it, and and I think that there's there's some people who really want to who've been in a system where you know all of everything has been provided for them, but they're also over dictated to by the money, and um, that is overbearing for a lot of people. A lot of people feel that in different ways, but they feel that, and that's how that comes out and it's expressed by them. But I don't trust. It doesn't make me want to get close, guilt. though. Trust me. Go ahead. Point of views that come from guilt aren't any better than point of views that come from, like, you know, greed or resentment or envy or uh, this rhetoric about rights or deserve or fairness. Like, all of these things are shit. Like, and it, well, they all have pieces it should... of it. They have pieces of it, but it's not a comprehensive answer to, to all things. You know, like, I don't even right. have all the answers, you know? So I'm open to, to more debate and more... Uh, well, let me phrase it this way. So they have more answers. They're all fine arguments to have, but they're all nothing if you don't have a system that makes sense mm-hmm. set next to where all the pieces make sense set next to the other pieces. Well, right and now we have a system that, that, that is, you know, it is what it is. It's not perfect and it can be approved upon. Um, but, you know, I'm not willing at this at this stage in my life, I'm not willing to throw it out completely. Uh, and and start over because I've seen what that what that brings. The the type people will bomb and hollow out a thing in their youth and think that you know like no we have to, we have to build it from the ground up so that we can have it and own it and it's ours and 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 it will be brilliant and sparkling. And it turns out that they're this utopia that they've envisioned that they don't know how to execute on anything they have no real policy and when when they try to go out and stand on their policy it falls flat you know and i've seen that happen a couple times like people who who get out on these these communes or and and, in religious factions believe me i mean i'm an open person i've I've watched it happen because people have tried they're like we're gonna try this new economy we're gonna try this new idea let's go out here in the woods and, and do this this social experiment and I'm like, all right, well, let's see what happens. You know, so I, I kind of go with them. just themselves being there. They envision like the sort of life they would like to have, but they do not envision how the economy of that place works, like down to the last cent. You know, that's they, what they, it takes. They always have a plan, trust me, because if they're going to enroll people and families, men and women of working age and childbearing age to bring their young children to go with them into this this forest of, of uh, build it up from nothing, uh, they have a plan. It's just not a great one. <laughs> yeah. And they try what they try, and I would say 90, 98 point, you know, blah, 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 most of these homesteading uh, cult communities do not work out. Yeah, Let me give you an example of, of one that kind of stayed in the spread. Okay. There's Warren Jeff's, uh, what is it, the FLDS? That's the one where they commissioned, like, a lot of, uh, you know, oof, re- incest, and, you know, they broke off from the Mormon church, and, you know, they, they carried on in in various places in the United States, sometimes New Mexico, sometimes Utah, sometimes, uh, sometimes Texas, but always illegal. How they have made it is through welfare fraud. 
So in those situations, yeah. they end up, you know, bilking the government for their utopia. <laughs> yeah, and that is a system like that. that they find most reliable. And that's what, if I remember, I'm talking about systems, and, and I always try to get people to stop talking about rights and start talking about systems. The question becomes, does it scale? You know, it doesn't matter how sound your moral theories are. If your mm-hmm. system does not scale, it's worthless. And nobody wants to go, they don't, they don't want to start with the system question, does it scale? They want to start with the moral question so that they can just feel good about themselves being a moral person. I don't know. It's just. Well, I mean, you know what? People are, people have a right to, to explore their morality, but I, I need to do my plugola here for, for my program at 11, 11 p.m. tonight. Okay. So we're changing channels. It's been an hour uh, on 11, 11 tonight. I will be DJing. I've chosen some handle. You know, you don't have to love it, but it's DJ Futile Lord. Get it? Get it? Futile Lord? Rather than Futile. Futile. Yeah, futile lord, uh, to as kind of like a fun answer to to the elections stuff that's going on. There's going to be some winners and losers. Somebody's going to feel bad. Somebody's going to need some uplifting music. So I figured I'd, I'd play something. I didn't think I was going to do a real program today, but I ended up doing one anyone one anyway. <laughs> um, so I'm going to wrap it there, Jonathan. Do you have any final remarks before I shut it all down and and Go do so else. I put a link there to a guy, and this this dude talks about. You'll like the part about how Barack Obama was the most anti-black president we've ever had, except for maybe wow, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, but this has directly to do with the constitutionalist guy. Like David Ricardo's uh, theory of rents is the most like important economic theory nobody's ever heard of, and it has to do with what was going on in that border too. But it was a pretty interesting interview. I'll just post it there, and you can watch it if you want to. Okay, great. All right. Um, for anybody who listens to this in, in hindsight, uh, I hope you had a good election season. And if your candidate didn't win, that's okay. You I'm live a bad to person. I didn't live vote. to fight. <laughs> you can live to fight another day. So uh, election day, it says I will not comply. Election day, Rich Barris and People's Pundit posted great way to follow the elections nationwide. Boris or Barris. One of the great, live one of the best in actual, actual numbers and real data. Great pollster, plenty of background info, explaining his numbers. Okay, so future listeners, go there. Thanks, I will not comply. T, we'll see you later um, at 11.11. I'll be DJing. Live stream, yes. Hey! Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit Sheila 